Good morning. I know it is uh, very, very cold outside, but again, as I like to say, it's warm in here, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning, and, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to uh, make it back out this evening for our evening services as well. <clears throat> as was mentioned earlier, uh, we'll be heading north here in the next couple of days. And uh, just to kind of give you some perspective, uh, a lot of the congregations up there uh, have closed today because of the blizzard and uh, the freezing temperatures. So uh, we don't have it that bad, and so uh, we should keep mindful of that this morning. I can remember uh, almost, well, I guess it was almost 15 years ago, around this time, when uh, my wife and I purchased our first uh, crib. Well, our only crib, uh, a baby crib. And, you know, most parents remember that moment as well. You know, you spend a lot of time researching it, and it, they're not cheap, of course. So you're going to spend a good amount of money to do that. Uh, but what that crib, what that, that, that child's crib, what it represents is a place of safety, a, a place of security. You know, it's going to be where they're going to lay their heads for the first time when they come home. And, you know, and all three of our kids use the same crib uh, growing up, you know, one after the other. And again, I spent, you know, a, a lot of time uh, learning how to put that thing together. You know, we'd get it out and then put it away, get it out, put it away, get it out and put it away. And, you know, I, there were some times, especially early on when I'd put it, get it, you know, halfway put together and notice that, oops, you know, that part doesn't go there. And so I'd have to take it apart and put it back together. And, but by the time Mallory came around, you know, I was a pro, right, uh, at that I reflect back on the time and the energy and the cost putting into that temporary bedding that they uh, slept on over those years. And then on a day to, like today, I reflect back on the manger. Now that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, the manger. Have you ever asked yourselves, why a manger? Why did our Lord and Savior choose to come into this world to uh, be placed in a manger? Now, before I go any further in this lesson, I want to say this. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8 when Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch? And he, he's a, remember, the eunuch is on his way back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia to his home. And he's uh, reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip uh, comes up and he catches up to the chariot. And, and he asks him, you know, what are you, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Well, he was reading from uh, Isaiah what we would know of as Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8, which is often referred to as the chapter of the suffering servant, you know, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Well, the, the, the eunuch said, well, how could I unless someone guides me, unless someone, you know, shows me? And, uh, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, you know, who, who is this man talking about? Who is this prophet talking about? Is it of himself or is it someone else? And we remember the scriptures say right after that, that Philip from that scripture went on and preached to him Jesus. Well, here's my point this morning. Many today are reflecting on the birth of Jesus. Right? We know that today is very, very unlikely that it was his actual birthday. And if you want to read a little bit more about that, I wrote a little bit of that in the bulletin this morning. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us when his birthday was. The Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate this day or to remember this day. But many have their mind on that event today. And so as Philip's had that strategy with the eunuch, let, let's go from there, right? Let's meet people where they are today. Because again, many people are thinking about that event. 
You remember the story. Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 records this. Uh, what little we know about that day. And we should also say that the, the gospel writers John and Mark, they don't mention Jesus' birth at all. But Jesus, of course, was born of a virgin, a woman betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, the carpenter. And they make that long trip from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, about a 90-mile trip, because they have to take part in the census. They have to take part in the census, basically meaning they needed to register to, to uh, uh, be taxed. And while they're in Bethlehem, Mary goes into labor, and she gives birth to the Christ child. And, of course, there was no room at the inn. You know, don't think of an inn as a hotel or motel, but this was probably a guest room. That word can also be translated as a guest room in a home. And so in this certain home that they were uh, coming to, there was no room in the inn for them. And so they had to find somewhere else. And as the Bible tells us, they were wrapped, or they wrapped Jesus in claws and laid him in a manger. That word manger can also be translated as feeding trough. You know, so, so we kind of get the depiction of, Again, where Jesus was laid that day. Friends, this is one of the greatest moments in human history. Uh, you know, we measure time by this date. You, you, you understand that, right? We, we measure years by this date. You know, B.C., we, we often say um, Isaiah prophesied around 700, 750 B.C. Well, that B.C., before Christ. And then we'll say, uh, well, um, you know, Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. Now, a lot of people think A.D. stands for after death, but it's actually a Latin phrase, anno domino, domini, which means in the year of our Lord. So uh, on the 70th year of our Lord, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, or we're in uh, 2022 in the year of our Lord. But the point is that we measure time by this date. It was an important event, but why not in a more noble fashion? Why a manger? Why not something fit for a king? Why not the best that money could buy? Why not his own crib that his mom and dad surely got ready for him, uh, prepared for him for that day? Why did he choose in an instant to be a baby in a manger? You know, Jesus is the only person who walked around on the earth that had a, a choice in how he would enter this world. Right? He's God. He created this world, yet he chose to enter as a baby in a manger. He chose to be raised by a, well, an insignificant family, right? Mary and Joseph, they had no earthly wealth. They were quite poor. They weren't popular. They weren't powerful people. So why? Maybe we might ask, why didn't he come back as a full-grown man? Why did he choose to start as a baby? Now, again, the Bible doesn't answer these questions specifically, but taking into the account of the life that we know that he lived, we're going to notice a few things here this morning. And maybe you have the outline with you as well, or we'll put the points up here on the board. But why? Why did he choose to come into this world in a lowly manger? What is God in the flesh trying to teach us about that event? What does the manger show us? And then we'll notice this first point here, that this manger, it shows humility. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to notice a, a few verses here in Philippians chapter th 2, starting in verse 3. L let's notice what the Apostle Paul says here about Jesus, starting again in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Paul writes this, he says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, uh, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul begins those scriptures by saying, we need to be like that. that. We need to have the same mind as Jesus did, that humility of mind. But notice specifically the verse that he talks about here in verse 6. Although he, did not, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen, he was God. But, but that passage says that he did not utilize, he did not assert his full uh, capacity of his, his deity uh, in the flesh. If you're reading from the New King James or the King James this morning, I like how the, it puts that verse. It says, it did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know, if you had a duffel bag full of, let's say, a million dollars in cash, and that was your life savings, that's all you had, and you were walking through a crowded area, would you not have that tight as you can have it under your arm, maybe wrapped around your neck as well in that duffel bag? I mean, you're gripping it. You're not letting go of it. You're holding on to it for dear life. Well, again, this passage says that Jesus didn't think it was robbery being equal to God. He didn't tightly grasp his deity, his position of heavenly honor when he was in the flesh. He let his hands loose and became human like you and I, right? To live a life like you and I in the flesh, to die in the flesh. Paul said he emptied himself, obedient to the point of death, right? That's humility. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Notice what uh, the Apostle Paul says here as well. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Did you hear what Paul said there? He was rich, but he came from heaven to earth so that he would be poor, so that you could be rich. Again, it's hard to grasp that our creator was right there in the manger as an infant. But that tells me about the God I serve. That tells me something about the God I serve, that he was humble, that he didn't need people surrounding him, telling him how great he was. He didn't need to prove anything to anyone. And if we want to make it to heaven, that's a quality that we need to practice as well. We need to practice the humility of Jesus. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes he begins? Remember that very first Beatitude in verse 3 of chapter 5? He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to go to heaven, he says, you've got to start there. You need to be poor in spirit. Well, that's the opposite of being proud. It's being humble. In James chapter 4, verse 10 the, the, the James, the writer there, says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will exalt you. A lot of us want to exalt ourselves. James says, let him exalt you. Again, from the manger, we have our minds on the manger today, and what that manger points to is the humbleness of Jesus. It taught us to be humble. Another point that we can notice from the manger this morning is that it shows dependence. 
You know, when we think of Jesus, we might think, you know, he never had any needs, that he could do anything, that he was independent of all. But we tend to forget the manger, right? That he grew up as an infant. Jesus chose to forego those heavenly riches that we just talked about and became as helpless as one could be, right? How much more dependent can one be than an infant? They need someone to feed them. They need someone to clothe them and to change them, and they need someone to you know, carry them around from place to place. Right? There, there's a mobility uh, factor there. Everything about an infant is being dependent on someone else. And again, Jesus chose to come into the world and be dependent on his parents, Mary and Joseph. And we already asked, why did he not come in uh, into this world as a full-grown adult? And why didn't he have those 12 legions of angels with him at his every need? But no, he chose the dependency of an infant in a manger. Now, Jesus is not asking you and I to do anything that he was unwilling to do in this life himself. Remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, Take up your cross and deny yourselves and follow me. And, you know, we look at that verse and we think, that's hard. That's tough. But Jesus did those things. He, he set those paths for us. He, he was a pattern, an example for us, for our lives, that we can do those well. And there's other passages. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Peter said, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We need to be more dependent on God, as Peter says. Take those anxieties off your shoulders. Cast them on God. He'll take those for you. You don't need to burden those yourselves. I'll take them, he says. Give them to me. Why? Because God wants us to be dependent on him. Jesus is teaching us another lesson here from the manger, and that's our dependence on God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 really quickly. Uh, there's no more uh, of a dependent verse, in my opinion, than 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Corinth, and listen to what he says here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Paul's writing to the Christians here in Corinth, and he says, Listen, you're not your own anymore. You're no longer your own, but you've been bought by someone. And that someone was Jesus. You know, sometimes we act like we're, we're rented, you know, that, you know, Sunday mornings you can have me, Lord, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not what this passage says. This says we have been bought 24-7, and we need to be reminded of that constantly in our lives, that our dependence on the one who owns us, that we need to be dependent upon that, to glorify him in our actions. And also from that verse, I'm reminded that I can't make it to heaven on my own. I'm not good enough. I need a Savior. As the, was it, the Kelly Clarkson song is, uh, Miss Independent or Mr. Independent or Mrs. Independent, I can't be independent in this life. I need to be dependent on God. I'm going to go back to the 1992 Summer Olympics. This was in Barcelona, uh, Spain. It's probably the first uh, thing um, etched in my mind because, uh, you know, I was around 10 years old at the time. And uh, 
Uh, of course, that was the year the Dream Team came about. Remember in the NBA that we had uh, all of these great NBA players were playing now in the Olympics, and we were just crushing team after team after team. And so that's really uh, implanted in my mind because of that. But there was another event that happened in 1992 that was also uh, somewhat popular, but maybe not as much as that. And that came in the 400-meter dash. That's one lap around the track. And there was this runner by the name of Derek Redman. And he was running for the United Kingdom, uh, the, the British. And, and if you remember, he was supposed to medal, uh, even maybe even win gold. And so as they go in this qualifying uh, race, and about halfway through the race, you, you might recall that he just falls down. Uh, he, he can't run anymore. He pulled a hamstring. And all the runners, they just keep passing him by. And as he gets up, he, uh, he's determined to finish. But again, he's still got half the track to go. And so he can't walk, he can't run. And so he's hopping all the way towards the finish line. And people are coming up to him, trying to get him off the track, trying to help him. And he just refuses because he wants to finish the race. Well, about one-fourth of the way done, it's evident that he's not going to make it. Uh, he's too tired. He just can't keep going. Uh, but all of a sudden, a man comes out of the crowd, comes out of the crowd, and he puts, his, uh, puts Derek's arms around him, and he starts carrying him basically to the finish line. And Derek, he has his, his, uh, his head implanted in the man's chest, and he's just bawling. He's crying because his dreams of winning gold are over. Well, that man, who was that man that was carrying him to the finish line? It was his father. It was his father who was helping him get to that finish line. It was such an emotional moment as they finished the race together. Friends, we need to acknowledge our dependence on Jesus Christ. Because that image of the father carrying his son to the finish line, that's applicable to us as well. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, listen to what the Apostle uh, Paul says here. He says, uh, for, it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Right? We have a dependence because our minds are fixed on Jesus to finish that race. I need Jesus. I need him to put his arms around me and walk me to that finish line, because I can't do it on my own. I can't make it to heaven on my own. And from the manger, from the manger this morning, we, we learn, we notice that our Lord and Savior was teaching dependence. And then finally this morning, let's look at one more point, because the manger shows sympathy. It shows sympathy. And we're going to look at a couple of passages here in the book of Hebrews. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, for this first point, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. The Hebrews writer wrote this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it means to be human. He knows what it means to be human. He created us, but by becoming flesh, it shows us that he really does know what he's talking about. He can sympathize with us. Right? He got his hands dirty, if you will, and labored among us for those 33 years. He probably got a few splinters once in a while, being the carpenter's son. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus, sympathized with us, came in the flesh, lived a life like you and I, being tempted in all ways, yet never sinned, and he knows how to sympathize with us. That passage there says that he could come to the aid to those who are tempted. And that word aid there in the Greek, it, it can mean uh, to run to the cry of a child. Right? Jesus is listening to our cries like a loving parent, and he's rushing to our side. He understands how temptation and sin work because he lived a life in the flesh. Although, again, he never succumbed to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 Again, Paul writes this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And again, there is no greater act of sympathy than leaving heaven and putting on flesh to say, I created them, and now I'm going to go and show them how to live. I'm going to set a pattern for them. I'm going to put them on the right path. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that uh, Jesus came and dwelt among us. And that word dwell, uh, it literally means he tabernacled with us. He, he put on a fleshly tent, if you will, and he dwelt among us. And again, the incarnation of Jesus was the greatest, the greatest act of sympathy. Uh, turn with me to one more passage, uh, and then the lesson will be yours this morning. One more passage in 1 John chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Notice this about our Lord. And maybe we've never thought about this in this way. But in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 17, the Apostle John writes, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, Jesus saw firsthand the things that you and I go through every day. You know, he could have simply had said, listen, I'm going to give you this book. I'm going to expect you to read it. I'm going to expect you to know it and say, here you go. Just follow these instructions. But no, he came in the flesh. The, God, the love of God, right, that we just read about in that passage. It wasn't just word and tongue but also in deeds and in flesh and in truth. And he came and he provided that for us. And he met our greatest need to die for us so that our sins may be forgiven. And again, friends, that is sympathy. That is sympathy. He, he was touched by our weaknesses, our failures, and our ultimate destiny in this life. And so he left heaven, seeing our plight so that we could have fellowship with him again. And again, from the manger this morning, from that manger, he taught us, what it meant to be sympathetic. He, he taught humility, he taught dependence, and he taught us sympathy. Well, again, we ask ourselves this question this morning, why a manger? Why a manger? Jesus, from his birth until his death, he was constantly teaching, right? He never stopped teaching. Before he could even speak, he was teaching. Until his last breath, he was teaching, the manger, it sets our minds on important qualities this morning that we need to get to heaven. 
And I don't know about you, but if Jesus came in any other way, if he came as a, uh, as a king or somebody of importance, I don't know if I could identify with him as much as I could than from a baby in a manger. Uh, but because he uh, faced what we faced, because he went through what we went through, he did it with humbleness, and he did it by teaching us the importance of being dependent, and he sympathized with us. And we need not overlook those lessons from the manger. Again, many have their minds here this morning. And, but, but the thing is, though, that we also need to remember is that Jesus grew up. Uh, he, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, talks about how the, in the fullness of time, Jesus came, born of a woman. Uh, but again, that child grew up. We also today need to think beyond the manger. Uh, uh, Jesus grew up and he places demands on our lives. Right? He calls us to a higher standard of living. He challenges our morals and our ethics and he questions our lack of godliness and holiness. And to follow him, he says, is going to be costly to be one of his disciples. But he says, if you want eternal life, if you want heaven, then you must do that. And we're not here this morning uh, because, you know, because the calendar says it's December 25th. But we're here this morning because it's the Lord's Day, a Sunday, the Lord's Day, every seven days. And we're here to remember that sacrifice that he made on our behalf, and we're here to worship him. And again, that's what we can remember from the manger. Again, that Jesus came into this life and showed humility, and he showed us dependence, and he also showed us sympathy. This morning, as we offer the invitation this morning, maybe there's some this morning who needs the prayers of the congregation, the encouragement of the congregation, the strength that only uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ can provide you this morning. We would love the opportunity to pray for you this morning, to help you uh, meet those needs, uh, whatever spiritual needs you need this morning. Or maybe you're ready to become a Christian. You're ready to put Christ on in baptism. And again, there's no better day to do that than today, than now. Today is the day of salvation, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And so if we can help you today uh, in any need, please let us know as together we stand and sing.